Hello. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure. And this morning we are continuing our series on Genesis called This Is Us. We're in Genesis and Noah has just survived the flood. He's kept his family afloat. How many of you feel like sometimes you're just trying to keep your family afloat? So he survived the flood, but the question for Noah and his family now is, can we survive each other? We've survived the flood. Can we survive each other? I thought about this for a little bit and reversed rewound my own life and thought, you know, there was a time 14 years ago when we started Adventure, I was like, if I can just survive year one, if I can just, if I can, if we as a family can survive until my kids get through elementary, then we're good, we're good. Uh, If we can survive, then I I imagine if we can just survive through junior high, oh, then we're, it's glorious. And then that ninth grade year, oh my word, if we can get everyone through ninth grade, then you're, then you're ahead. Then it was, can I just get everyone to graduate from high school? Yes, we can survive. You ask those kind of questions because during your floods, there's a lot of pressure. There's conflict in the home. There's conflict at work. There's, uh, there's exuberance. There's moments of great celebration. And there's fatigue, <laughs> How many of you are like, you have me at fatigued? <laughs> yeah. Fatigue sets in and creates more difficulty. Um, there can be dysfunction in the home that you never expected. There can be conflict in the home you never expected. How do you get through it? How do you do more than just, just survive? And, and then here's the real question I have is, what happens if things get really tough Or they can be even more difficult, I think, sometimes when they get really good. Like all of a sudden, we're not just surviving, we're thriving. How many of you are like, I'd like to be tested in that area? How do you manage that? Because that's not easy. Managing uh, difficult success. There's a good American history anecdote that comes from the Shaker movement of the 19th century. The Shakers were this group of immigrants from England, Lancashire, England, that came over and brought an incredible work ethic, an incredible organization, systems to their architecture, furniture making, interior design skill set. In the 1870s, they were really prominent. There's actually still one uh, active community, Shaker community in Maine. But they experienced incredible wealth in their, in their uh, community because they adopted this principle. And this principle was, let's view our work as our worship. Whatever you do, do it as an act of worship. And so they were able to construct and design furniture like this. You've probably seen it. I mean, high-end, very uh, very reliable, long-term furniture. 
But it was all based on this work ethic, this incredible work ethic. Hey, whatever you do, whatever it is, do it as an act of worship, which is for any of you that are thinking, is that like in the Bible? Absolutely. It's a great personal value to adopt. But as a religious group, as a, as a religious group, they had some other rules. They, they were overly ruled. <laughs> they practiced some, some legalism in their group that actually made it more difficult on them. They practiced a total celibacy, even for the marrieds. That's a bad idea. Okay? That's a bad idea. That's not in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> All right? And they did practice something simultaneously that was in the Scriptures. They were very active in adopting children. Okay? That was the combination. So, lots of kids. <laughs> Eventually, lots of money. <laughs> That's a problem, okay? All right? Let's look at this cycle to protect us from it. So they practiced hard work and humility, okay? Very biblical principle. And those two actually are high, the two highest values of leaders, okay? Discipline, humility. Jim Collins. Uh, hard work and humility, that was, that was, that was, those were two values that they made a part of their communities, it led to success and wealth. Okay, this is, by the way, this is just pre-Civil War era. It led to success and wealth. Lots of, lots of net income. Lots of return on investment for them. That success and wealth, though, led to arrogance and what became excess for them. Pride cometh before fall. Excess. That excess led to poverty and brokenness. The question I want to ask of all of our families today and all of you emerging workers, students, is this. Can we live here on this, using this graphic, can we live here in the hard work and humanity and humility? Rather than having to go through this treadmill of experiencing success and then arrogance and excess and poverty and brokenness. Can we live here, hard work and humility, regardless of our income? Can we live here regardless of our success? Can we live here regardless of the kind of fame or attention we get? Because if you can live here, you not only can survive the flood together, you can survive each other afterwards if you protect yourself from with other stuff. So here's the question I'm going to ask again today. Can we learn to live in hard work and humility? To live there. Those two values. I think those two values, this is a universal value, humility, across the globe considered one of the most important values. This would be perhaps in the top five, hard work and discipline, high, high values. Is that enough? Is that enough when we're fatigued? Is that enough when we've got dysfunction happening in our family? Is that enough when we're, uh, when we're in conflict at work or at home? Is that enough when we're, we're just exhausted? That's the question I want to answer today. 
And what I want to do is start taking you down Noah's roadmap. Give you a little background on Noah. Noah was a guy who um, really endured a lot of chaos and a lot of violence. He lived in a a violent, chaotic era. And uh, he maintained his faith in the chaos. In Genesis chapter 6, if you want to start to get to where I'll be on your smartphone or Bible, I'll be in Genesis. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of what was a violent, chaotic culture, he found favor. Noah built a family that survived the storm. Noah did everything that God commanded him. He wasn't perfect, but he did what, to the best he could, what God was asking of him. That'll help you survive a storm. Lastly, Noah battled dysfunction. There was some dysfunction in his home. There were three sons. They say if you have three, sometimes two will gang up on one. That's kind of what may have been happening. There was some family dysfunction we'll talk about with his middle son, Ham. How do we then, how do we, how do we stay and live and thrive in humility and hard work without being, without falling into excess and arrogance that can lead to brokenness and poverty? How do we do it? First, you've heard this before at an adventure service. Get near to God. Get near to God. Make that a priority in your life. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read that uh, this is the account. He could, what he thought, fully with God. Maybe to help you understand his uh, relationship with God, maybe Morgan Freeman and Steve Carell will help you with that. Check this out. So, you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the pillow of salt thing in a while. That's all right. I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you. Well, then you have to understand that this whole building an ark thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. <laughs> what? Your plans. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking? I'm, we're talking about an ark, right? I mean, an ark? An ark is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. Well, I hear that a lot. People want to change the world, don't know how to begin. You want to know how to change the world, son? One act of random kindness at a time. Build the ark. I'll tell you what. You build it, I'll fill it. And if anybody asks, tell them flood's coming. Oh, and uh, you might need this. Okay, so what do I do? I grab the wood. Oh, okay. You know, that's just cruel. Do you see him? I don't see him. 
get near to God, like Steve Carell is portrayed here with uh, Morgan Freeman, who plays God, a relationship. Boy, if you don't catch anything today, catch this idea that our God in heaven wants a relationship with you. Uh, it's, it's not based on rules and regulations. It's based on communication. What are you doing to communicate with God, to listen to him? God was very clear with Noah. He said uh, in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, hey, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and rain and a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you. <laughs> Who was the covenant between? Me and you. It's a personal commitment to him. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. How do you get near to God? Here it is. Here's the first action step. You walk in God's promises. You walk in God's promises. Now, God makes promises sometimes to himself. He says it's a universal, we call it a covenant. Sometimes he makes that promise to himself and he says, hey, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to flood the earth again. That's a, that's a covenant he makes with himself. Sometimes he makes covenants with us that are, that are, sub, that are uh, subject to our following him. Sometimes he says, hey, I'm going to do this if you'll do this. Uh, sometimes he says, if you, Jesus said, if you seek me and my character first in your life, seek you first his kingdom and his righteousness, you seek me and, and my character first, everything else will be provided for you if you put me first. Uh, or uh, Jesus will say, um, uh, <clears throat> um Whoever wishes to save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you try so hard to hold on to things and control things and try to map out your own life and you're not willing to deny yourself and give me leadership in your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose it, you're going to find it. That's a uh, what we call a conditional covenant. Thirdly, there are personal covenants. That's where God says to someone, hey, like he did Abraham. You leave your country, your kindred, in your father's house. You go to a distant land I'll prepare for you, and I'm going to build a nation unto you. More than likely, none of us have that calling in our life to build a nation. But sometimes I do think the Holy Spirit will actually speak to us very personally about the plans he has for our lives. We have to stay very close to him to be able to listen to what he's doing. How do we get near to God? We walk in his promises. We call this leaning into God's grace, keeping promises, builds our faithfulness. Leaning into God's grace-keeping promises builds our faithfulness. The more we understand that our God is grace-keeping, a grace-keeping God, the more we want to keep our promises. Well, I was impressed. I had permission to share this story after services, Sharice Jackson, after first service, came to me and gave me permission to share this. What a challenging year for Sharice, 2015 and 2016. She lost her dad uh, last fall, and uh, she was simultaneously in uh, getting some requirements for nursing school um, admission. She went to sign up for nursing school uh, this this spring, and she's going through ARC 
which uh, had 10 spots open, 70 applicants. She didn't get one of the 10 spots. They called her in personally, and they said, hey, Sharice, um, we want to offer something to you. We've never offered an applicant. You tested very well. You're, you're actually, you're, you test with our second semester students. Instead of starting you with these 10 RN students, we want to start you in second semester. You'll be a little, it'll be a little awkward because some will have got, the students will be a, a semester ahead of you, but we want to just advance you. We're going to throw you in this next, this second semester, which means Sharice only has to go to school for 18 months to get her dream of being an RN and means that she saved a lot of money, right? How many of you believe that we have a God that is grace-keeping God? How many of you believe that our God loves us? That he has the best in mind for us? That when we're going through the most trauma in our lives, like Sharice went through, that God's in the midst of that. And that he's got grace-keeping promises he wants to fulfill in our lives. This, this is why getting near God is so critical, especially when we're going through tough seasons. This month, we're celebrating God's grace-keeping, promise-keeping nature to us. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary in this building today, right now, right now. And uh, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to be setting up and tearing down for over a decade and to get a gift like this building. Really, it's surreal. Whoever imagined this? I didn't. Not like this. Not with palm trees. No. Do, do you know that the, the, uh, the, one of the partners that own this building, he literally does the landscaping for all of the In-N-Out burgers in Northern California and Oregon, thus the palm trees. Burgers aren't for free, but the palm trees are working for us. Who, I never, who imagined this? God did this through all of us. I want to give you a few numbers. If you want numbers, this is just kind of tell you where we've been. A year ago, March, we were at the Benvenuti Performing Arts Center, Apples to Apples Month. March of 2015, our average attendance at the Ben, including Easter Sunday, was about 400 people a weekend. Our Easter Sunday month this year was last month, it was over 500 people a weekend here during the month of, uh, of April. We had over 600. We had 668 adventurers here in two services. Thank you, by the way. Many of you came to the 9 o'clock service. I can't thank you enough because there were 275 people came to the second service, and we had 225 in the first service. We had 324 chairs in the second service, Had we not moved, had not so many of you been willing to be in first service, we would have had problems. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. But the most important thing above all these numbers were the 14 baptisms we had on Easter Sunday, two of which were spontaneous. On the spot, I'm ready. Dunk me. And we'll dunk. If you want to be dunked, we'll do it. And folks marched out there and let us baptize them right there on the spot. Do you believe God is a grace-giving God in your own life, no matter what you face? And we've had some adventure family members that are facing, have faced and are facing some daunting 
issues, okay? Is God gracious in the midst of the drama, the trauma, the, the, the daunting? Absolutely. First step here is, can we live in looking at that, 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 uh, that treadmill of life? Can we live in hard work and humility? Can we live in hard work and humility? And if so, how do we stay there? The first thing is get near to God. Stay near to God. Make it a, we, a daily priority. I know personally I've followed the challenge at the beginning of the year of giving Jesus the first 15 minutes of every day. And what that means for me is listening to five music of praise music. I'm not really a, a worship music guy in the morning. I wake up and I'm just like, eh, and uh, and. Uh, I put on a little Jesus culture, oh, and it speaks to my heart. It melts my heart, and I turn into a nice person. I, I got to tell you, it's working for me. And then I take five minutes, and I, I, I usually write out Scripture. I'm in the Psalms and Proverbs all year. And then I take five minutes, and I just thank God. Give, try giving Jesus the first 15 minutes of every day you have. And watch what he does. And if you're interested, we actually provided you a text-available devotion that's video. If you're interested in that, come, come up to me after services. I'll give you the numbers on that. But get near to God. That's going to be your key to living in hard work and humility. Second key, don't get drunk. That's the, that's the take-home from Noah's life. Don't get drunk. You know, we live even in an evangelical culture where as most evangelicals are not totally abstinent of alcohol, younger generations have actually done what they typically do. (laughs) Younger generations typically take what their parents do to the next level, right? And so younger generations have enjoyed this freedom of not being a teetotaler, as they would be called, or being totally abstinent and taking it to the next level. Excess creates huge problems. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. In Genesis chapter 9, what we read is that Noah was not just a contractor who was able to oversee the building of the ark. He also was a man of the soil who planted a vineyard. Vineyards usually take about three years before they mature, and when he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. The question I want to ask is, why did Noah stumble here? Why did he stumble? And I've kind of already mentioned it earlier, but maybe it was just fatigue. Maybe it was building and sailing an ark can lead to burnout. Would you not agree? That was a big ark. If you've done any of the archaeological study on it, it was a huge ark. Secondly, maybe damaged emotions. Um, Watching the world end is depressing. Anyone watch news lately? (laughs) It's depressing. Agreed? (laughs) Noah had to watch a lot of people get judged by God. Depressing. Thirdly, maybe just conflict. One of his sons wasn't doing well. That's stressful (laughs) when your children aren't doing well. Fourthly, maybe just over-exuberance, he was just happy. <laughs> I built an ark, I built a, uh, I, I've, I've planted a vineyard, what's next? The iPhone, I mean, life is good. And he's just happy, and he's celebrating. Nothing wrong with celebrating, 
but it can become destructive. Drinking, agree or disagree, drinking becomes destructive when, number one, it makes others stumble. You know, in the scriptures, we are responsible for the consciences of others. So if someone else is stumbled or tripped up by our freedom of enjoying a food or a given beverage, we are responsible to not participate in that so as to protect their own conscience. Drinking can become excessive if there's, or can become a problem when there's a problem in our family tree. Remember what I said, children are always going to take what we do to the next level. What if their chromosome makeup has a tendency, a real susceptibility to alcoholism? They've seen perhaps our um, moderation and temperance, but they're going to go to the next level. Are we setting them up for real hardship? Finally, uh, you're self-medicating. <laughs> You know that the meds that they use for anxiety are pretty much the same as alcohol. Same composition. And so you can easily go to alcohol just to help you with worry, anxiety, etc. And you end up doing stuff that's, you know, kind of stupid. I mean, being caught without clothes on. <laughs> no son wants to see his dad naked. Can we agree with that? <laughs> right? Because then he has to imagine himself in 20 or 30 years. It's an awful sight. So the question is, are we drinking too much? Really? Kind of let the Spirit speak to you on that issue. Are we drinking too much? But I think you'd agree that it's not just drinking, is it? There are other excesses that we use. Everyone is vulnerable to the sin of excess. Think about these as being possible excesses. Do you think we can be excessive in our image management? How we look? Our weight? <laughs> our waistline? Our face? Do you think we can be excessive in our social media? Access? You think sometimes we're looking for something in social media that's not healthy? And we can find stuff in social media that's not healthy? We can get to the point we're comparing ourselves. So you got to do that vacation where? <laughs> Tuscany? My family, we're going to, yeah, we'll be in Bakersfield this summer. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> or, wow, look at that house. What a house. Well, I wish we had that house. Or look at that. Or that. Or that. And what you're doing is medicating pain, really. Can social media become excessive? Can it be like drinking? How about this? How about gaming? Online gaming? It's how many hours a week do you spend online gaming that could be spent someplace else? How about sports? Sports talk, talk radio, playoffs. Is it excessive? How about this? How about isolation? Yeah, you're, you're, you're an introvert. You need time alone, but really that much time? 
Do you really need a house off the property to be by yourself? (laughs) Or how about this? How about slothfulness? Are you not rested yet? Did you not sleep in enough? Do you you really need the whole day to recover? (laughs) I think we can be excessive in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of it is related to our pain. I love this quote that I caught. Krista Black's commentary on pain. Check this out. If you're not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. If you're not anchored in the goodness of God, you'll lower your theology to match your pain. Here's what I think is the take-home of excessive living, is this. Replace our sins of excess of excess with worship, with real friends, and adrenaline-pumping fun. Okay, worship. Worship is more than just what we enjoyed with Taylor today. Worship is what I do with my body. It's what I do with my eyes, my mind, everything, my heart, my moral code, everything. It's an act of worship. I can replace my desire for excess by doing what Paul said, presenting my my body as a gift to God, my act of worship. He uses that language in Romans 12. The second is being with real friends. Real friends, not, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. Not text friends, not, not social media friends, face-to-face conversation friends. Uh, I thought the film, recent film, uh, Circles, really captured the need for our culture to do that. And, and you might say, oh, that sounds fun, real friends. Really? When you're in conflict? When you're fatigued? When you're struggling with dysfunction? When you're like, you don't have anything to give, you want to go out and be with friends, uh-uh, <laughs> don't. I remember, I'll be, I only shared this, I'm going to share this with you, it's kind of stupid. We were hosting a party, and I had a terrible day. We had like 50 people in our home, and I went to the bedroom. Now, I wasn't hosting it, my wife was hosting it, <laughs> and 50 people in my home, and my wife says, come on out, it'll be great for you to just forget yourself forget your problems and just be with my friends. And I'm like, I don't want to forget myself. (sighs) Okay. Do you not feel that? (laughs) So I did the mature thing. I stayed in that bedroom the whole party. (laughs) Here's my point. Having real friends is work. But it's the healthiest thing for you. It's work. It is work. But it's it's what you want most deeply. Thirdly, replace excess with worship, real friends, and adrenaline-pumping fun. How many of you are like, I need to have more fun. I'm the most boring person on the planet. I've got to have more fun. How many of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, I just, it's too hard. I'm fatigued. (laughs) Right, here's the deal. You need to have fun. Maybe some of you need to skydive this week. You could die, so you're going to heaven. Maybe this week, one of you needs to go get on a skateboard. One of your kids, real short boards, you're guaranteed to break a scaphoid or a forearm. Go do it today. We are not liable for anything that's being said in the service. Go do something fun today. If your kids invite you to play basketball, go and foul them ridiculously. Have some fun. Have some fun. Okay. How do, we live, how do we live 
in hard work and humility. We stay near to God. We, we don't get drunk. We replace excessive drinking or excessive anything with worship, with real friends, and adrenaline-pumping fun. Finally, we give honor. We give honor. Relationships are going to be the origin of most of our conflict. We give honor. Here it is in in chapter 9. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way, understood, so that they would not see their father naked. So we've survived the flood. Are we going to survive each other? How do we do it? We get near to God. We don't get drunk. Lastly, we give honor. Moses will say it in years forthcoming, honor your mother and father, that it may, uh, as the Lord God has commanded you, that it may, you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your mother and father. Here's the key idea. Dishonor breaks relationships. Honor builds them. There's three kind of responses we all have to conflict. This is a great summer read, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. In her book, she talks about conflict. She says that when we have opposition to us, the first response is, hey, I'm going to change you. I must change you. Are any of you gifted at changing others? The other one is sympathy. You give sympathy. I feel sorry for you, you pitiful little thing. Oh, precious. You're having a hard day, aren't you? It's that condescending sympathy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's you. It's you. We'll work with you. But what Brene says really, really is honoring is empathy. Empathy is high relational intelligence. It's, it's EQ. It's being smart with people. It's a real test of someone's relational intelligence. Do they have the ability to say, hey, I see you're in that pit. I'm coming down with you, and I'm going to bring you up if you'll let me. Let's, go, let's do this together. Not because you were too dumb to, to avoid the pit, but because I love you. <laughs> let's do this. Empathy is going to help you honor others in a way that they deserve or that they need related i want to talk to dads related i want to talk about a relationship with our dads just for a minute here it is in our american culture we have disrespected the office of father the more we dishonor it the worse our world is going to get here's the deal and know that, ladies know this about we men a man is going to go where he gets respect If you want a relationship with your husband, show him respect. And honor's often a gift. It's not just a reward. Sometimes honor's not deserved, but it is still needed. Think about this. Think about what Jesus Christ did to honor us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Kind of like Japheth and Shem, he, instead of covering our sins with a blanket, he covered our sins with his body. And he honored us. Have you accepted that honorary pivot towards you personally yet? 
when Christ suffered for your sins? We're going to transition now into what we do weekly, our communion moment. For those of you that are serving communion, please go ahead and make your way that direction.